Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And it would be a great help if you can open your Bibles once again at our reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 1155 in the Church Bibles. Last Sunday morning we began looking at this a wonderful chapter. We looked at the first 11 verses and then here now in the evening for the next four weeks or so, we look at the rest of the chapter and we continue to do so tonight. And let's pray for God's help as we look at his word together. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Father, please, as we look at your word tonight and as we understand afresh the hope that we have in Christ, the full extent of that hope, would you make us afresh confident to believe in Christ and to take our stands in him, confident that we have not made a mistake, confident about our futures, and confident to live now a life of great energy working for your cause. We pray this for your glory. Amen. I can still remember the first mobile phone that I owned. It was almost exactly 15 years ago uh, this month that I got it. It was a real brick of a phone. It was massive, and yet with a very tiny, small screen, it could hold only 10 texts at one time, which is a bit of a pain. Um, Of course, in the last 15 years, mobile phones have changed dramatically. Uh, And so now the kind of modern smartphone looks like this. And um, it's incredibly powerful. I'm told that there's more power in a smartphone today than there was available in all the computers involved in the Apollo mission to the moon back in the 60s. And uh, we have in our pockets, in our hands, this amazing computer with incredible power. We carry it around with us uh, day in, day out. And yet here's the thing. I I read in a survey recently done in the US, but I think it applies to us as well here, that apparently 65% of us own a smartphone And yet only 5% of us get anywhere near using the full potential and power of the phone in our pockets. Now, this doesn't really matter any given day uh, when it comes to smartphones. uh, It's okay if we only use it to make phone calls and to play Candy Crush occasionally in the breaks at work or school. It might be a waste of power, but, but no one gets hurt. 
But tonight and over the next four weeks or so, we're going to look together at an event, a reality which most of us believe in and rejoice in and hold dearly to. It's an event of great power and great significance, but it's also an event that many of us are in grave danger of not understanding the full implications, the full power, the full meaning for us in our everyday lives. It's as if we keep it in our pockets and we don't use it for everyday life. I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, there are some people, in fact, many people in this country who deny outright the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They deny the Easter story. They say that uh, it didn't happen or that it was just a metaphor for hope that the, the memory of Jesus lives on somehow in our, in our minds, in our hearts, but he's quite dead and in the grave. But my guess is that for most of us here tonight, when it comes to the resurrection, that's not our particular danger or problem. My guess is most of us believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. No, our danger tonight is the danger that the Corinthians made when it came to the resurrection of Jesus. Their mistake, their failure, and our danger is to not connect the reality of the resurrection of Jesus to our everyday life. Last Sunday, we looked at the first 11 verses, and we now continue through the chapter of 1 Corinthians. And we saw that the Corinthians had heard about and believed in and taken their stand on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They believed it, as I hope we do tonight. But in the rest of the chapter, we see that the Corinthians were failing to connect the dots. They were failing to connect what they believed over here with their everyday life and their everyday understanding of themselves and their world that they lived in. And so Paul writes to to correct their thinking and also, I guess, ours tonight. So in these next few weeks, as we think about living with a risen Lord, we're going to see how the resurrection of Jesus should impact us at a daily, personal, real level. Uh, The issue for us particularly tonight is clear from verse 11. Uh, Straight away, Paul says this. But if if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, There's the issue for us tonight. It seems that some amongst the Corinthian Christians were saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. Now, what does this mean? Well, it could be a reference to a kind of false teaching that we know existed in Bible times. Paul addresses it elsewhere, for example, in his writings to Timothy, where people say that the resurrection has already happened. If you like that, to be alive now as a Christian is to live the resurrected life, which means that the life here now in the present is as good as it gets. There's nothing better to look forward to in this life. We already have it now. So perhaps the Corinthians were saying that there's no resurrection to come because they already live now in the present a resurrected life. And as we look through the book of 1 Corinthians, we see, uh, I guess, some strands of that coming through. Uh, And if you, uh, the the, uh, experts call it an over-realized eschatology, uh, bringing too much of the future into the present. Or Paul could mean um, that some were saying that uh, death is the end. That when our physical bodies breathe their last breath, that's it for us as people. There's nothing beyond our physical life. And so maybe some in Corinth were saying that. 
But I think perhaps the most likely interpretation of what Paul is talking about is that the Corinthians didn't believe in a bodily, physical resurrection. Oh, they believed in a resurrection, but it was a spiritual resurrection only, not physical, not bodily, not tangible. Souls, yes, bodies, no. It was a popular view in that time that Corinthians lived in a culture that bought into this view. It was a Hellenistic worldview. Humans are composed of two bits, the soul and the body, that the body is bad and the soul is good. The soul lasts forever. The body is, um, is going to decay and cease at the end of this life. And so many people believed that death was good because death was a moment when this, the soul was released from captivity in this mortal body, was released into glory for eternity and was able to shed the kind of physical shell of the body. And so Plato, one of the famous philosophers of the day, said that death was good because death was the moment of freedom for the soul. And it seems that the Corinthians were buying into this view of death and resurrection. They believed in a resurrection, but it was only a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily, physical resurrection. Now, we don't live in the same culture as the Corinthians. If anything, the world around us goes the other way, stressing the material over the spiritual, denying the soul, if you like. But I think we can still be tempted to think the same way the Corinthians were thinking. I wonder if, as we think about our futures, perhaps our existence after our death, that we have a a vague sense that we'll be conscious, that somehow we will exist, but we don't see ourselves as having a, a real physical body. We don't really think in that kind of detail. We don't think about being able to touch and recognize and see people. We don't think about the world having an, an order that it has now, a continuation of what we see around us. Or perhaps others of us are so uh, fed up with our physical bodies. That maybe they're weak and frail. Maybe we're struggling with poor health and we We just want to get rid of these bodies that are so broken and so difficult. And the thought of living with a a physical body for eternity just feels overwhelming. We wouldn't want that because being tied to a physical body feels so difficult now in the present. Or perhaps our futures just scare us. Talking about death uh, fills us with dread and fear and we just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to have to dwell on what it will be like or what will happen afterwards. We prefer to push it away into the corner of our thinking and focus on the here and now. These are all ways in which we can downplay or ignore the nature of our resurrection bodies. And whatever our feelings about our resurrections or our futures, Paul would have us think about them tonight. And Paul plays a little experiment with the Corinthians and with us. He plays the what-if game. He says, okay, let's try out what would happen if we remove the reality of a physical, bodily resurrection from the grave for everyone. Let's, let's see what happens to our thinking as Christians. It's a bit like Jenga. You know how Jenga works? You, 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 pick, a, you pick a block and you tease it out from the tower and you see what happens to the rest of the tower. Will it stay up or will it fall? And tonight, Paul picks the particular block of a bodily, physical resurrection. He says, okay, let's just tease that away from our thinking as Christians. And let's see how the rest of our Christian thinking stands up. And tonight, we'll find that the whole tower goes. 
everything goes. If we let go of a physical bodily resurrection, we are left with nothing. Well, let's dive into the details uh, tonight to see uh, what you lose if there is no bodily physical resurrection. If, uh, if Christ, uh, first of all, Christ has not been raised, says Paul. Uh, verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Think it through, says Paul. If you deny your own physical resurrection, if you deny the goodness of bodies and being able to see people and recognize people, if you deny that in general, you have to deny that Christ was raised physically, bodily, himself. Think it through, says Paul. Join the dots. It sounds obvious, but the Corinthians weren't seeing it this way. I remember when I was at uni, I shared a house one year with a good friend of mine who was a vegetarian. And we agreed as a house to cook together. It was great, no problem at all. We were happy to do that. I love eating meat, but for a year it was fine. So headline was, no meat for a year. And I thought, it's going to be fine, isn't it? What can go wrong? But then after a few weeks, I started to realize it meant that on a Saturday morning, there were no bacon buddies. It meant that on Friday night, there were no chicken curries. On Sunday, there were no roast chicken dinners. And as I started to think through the implications of the headline, I started to realize that actually, that the kind of headline decision had lots of concrete implications along the way. It was much harder than I thought. And I think a similar thing is happening with the Corinthians. They made a headline conclusion. The resurrection of the body is bad. It won't happen. But they hadn't thought through the implications down below. They had ruled out in their thinking the physical resurrection of Christ. Of course, Christ has been raised because we know from the first part of 1 Corinthians, from the Easter story, that there is a physical resurrection. And next week and beyond, we will see some of the glorious implications for us personally of the reality of that physical resurrection. That's the first bit of the tower that topples. If there's no bodily resurrection, first of all, Christ has not been raised. But Paul is not finished. Next, he says, preaching is useless. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. There you go. He's pretty clear, isn't he? Uh, back in uh, verses three and four, we, we um, declared our faith using those verses just a minute ago. Uh, Paul reminded the Corinthians about the matters of first importance, things right at the heart of the Christian faith, the fundamentals, including the, the death of Jesus, his burial, and his resurrection. That is what Paul was preaching to them. It's what they'd heard him preach, what they'd accepted as a preacher from him. But if Christ has not been raised then it makes talking about his resurrection, preaching, makes it useless, pointless. This week around Sheffield, I wonder if you've noticed, there have been people walking around wearing massive big signs advertising a well-known high street pizza establishment. And on the signs, uh, it it read, uh, $6.99, any pizza, any size. And you can go that way and find your pizza. And there are people, I guess, being paid, wandering around the streets with these massive signs advertising some good news that way. Well, imagine you were walking along the street and you thought, hmm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit hungry. Quite fancy a, a pepperoni pizza. 
And so you follow the signs, you head down to the shop and you, and you find it. But as you walk to the shop, you discover that the door is locked and the lights are off and there's no one in the kitchens. And you, and you sniff and there's no smell of pepperoni or cheese. Or, there's nothing. Well, then you must think the signs are pointless. Why are people walking around the streets advertising 6.99 pizzas when the shop is closed? There's no point doing it. Stop it. And that's the sense when we come to 1 Corinthians. Paul says, if there's no resurrection from the grave, then just shut up. Stop preaching. There's nothing to talk about. Don't do it. And it gets worse. Verse 15, Paul says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him in, if in fact the dead are not raised. You see, Paul is taking his apostolic witness on this. This is what he says happened, but if it hasn't happened, he's a liar. And so liars should be quiet. If people are to ask us as Christians why we live differently, why we come to church on a Sunday, why we live the way we live, why we give our money to the work of the church, then if this is true, then the honest thing would be to shrug our shoulders and say nothing. There is no reason. If people say to us at work tomorrow morning, oh, what's the point of Easter? Why do you bother? Why do Christians wear crosses on their necks, perhaps? Then the right response is to say, there is no point. It's all a lie. It's all futile. It would raise a few eyebrows, I guess, from our friends, but it is the logical conclusion of the Corinthian position. If there is no bodily resurrection then Christ has not been raised, which means that preaching is futile and Paul's a liar. Okay, but isn't Paul being a bit extreme, a little bit alarmist, perhaps? Well, no, because there is one more implication, one more piece of the Jenga tower that has yet to topple. If there is no physical resurrection, then lastly, Paul says, faith is useless. Again, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, stop wasting your time. Go home. Don't come to church again. There's no point. Let's knock down this building and build some flats. Be more useful. Find something else to believe in. Why is our faith futile? If there is no physical resurrection. Well, verse 17 tells us. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We are still in our sins. Now, let's get our thinking clear on this. I think often we get confused. It is good and right to talk about the cross of Christ as being the place where our sins are dealt with and paid for. On the cross, he died the death that our sins deserve in our place. Death is the correct penalty and judgment for sin. And on the cross, Jesus pays 
that price for us as he dies. It is right to talk about the cross as being the place of forgiveness, the place of our beginning a new status. But so often as Christians, we stop there. That's the whole message for us, but not for Paul. Because we only know if the cross has worked as a payment for sin, if Jesus has been physically, bodily raised back to life, if the consequences of sin are death, then we only know that sin has been dealt with if there is life after death. We've heard lots of discussion over the last few months about Ebola and the search for a vaccine. And I gather various uh, medical centers have put forward vaccines as potential uh, cures for the, uh, the disease. And people have been uh, willingly uh, volunteering to try out the, uh, the trials. Well, just imagine this scenario. Someone terribly has been, uh, uh, has been made ill with Ebola and they are facing death. And they're desperate and they volunteer to try out a new uh, trial drug. And the doctors give them this drug and we wait with bated breath. Will the vaccine work? Just imagine a few days later, the sad headlines. The doctor comes forward and says, I've got some terrible news to pass on to you. I'm very sorry to say that the patient has died. That They have lost their fight against Ebola. But imagine if they then said, but the good news is that the vaccine works. You say, no, it doesn't. You'd be shouting at the TV screen, it doesn't work. The whole point is that you get life. There is a great enemy, a disease that threatens life. And we only know when it's conquered, when there is life afterwards. And on a much more serious level, so too with the resurrection. We only know that the price has been paid, that the enemy has been defeated, that sin is conquered, when Christ is raised to new life, life beyond the grave. And if Christ has not been raised, then the payment did not work. And we are still in our sins. Which means our faith is useless. Which means that when we die and we stand before the judgment seats of God, we are still a guilty sinner. We are no better off. We have no hope. Which means verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I think Paul's point is this. The benefits of believing in and following Christ are primarily in the future, beyond the grave. A new resurrected body, life in the new creation with our risen Lord. If there is no future, if there is no life beyond the grave then what's the point of Christian hope? In the news today, it has emerged that hundreds of people have been victims of a holiday scam. Apparently, some 1,500 people have reported cases of fraud to the fraud office. People have been handing over their hard-earned cash, paying for holidays they thought were real, but they've turned up at the holiday destination and discovered that the hotel isn't actually a real hotel or the villa they've paid for is already occupied by other people and there's no space in the villa. It seems that uh, fraudsters have been setting up websites that aren't real, advertising false holidays, taking money off people that, uh, that then leads nowhere. And as you hear stories of people being ripped off like that, 
Well, it's heart-wrenching, isn't it? We wouldn't want to be people who hand over our hard-earned cash, people who plan and look forward to anticipate a well-deserved holiday, only to discover that when we get there, there is no holiday. It's all a scam of fraud. It would be terrible, wouldn't it? We wouldn't want to be someone like that. And yet, if there is no resurrection, it's far, far worse than some holiday scam. Pity us, says Paul. Pity us for going to church every Sunday and missing out on a good lion. Or I guess at this time of night, something else in the evening. Uh, Pity us for listening to lies preached to us from the front, from a dead book. Pity us for singing songs that are lies full of dead truths. Pity us for giving some of our hard-earned cash to the work of the gospel when there is no gospel. Pity us for raising our families to know and love the Lord when there's no Lord to love and know. Pity us, says Paul. It's all a scam. There is no hope if Christ has not been raised. I recently heard about a Christian journalist who was interviewed about her faith in a secular newspaper. She was asked what she would do if somehow in the future someone found absolute proof that Christ had not been raised from the dead. She was asked how would she respond as a Christian. And she thought about it for a moment. And then she said, do you know what? My faith will be strong enough to cope. It sounds noble, it sounds courageous, but it's utterly rubbish. There is no faith, there is no hope if there is no physical, bodily resurrection. Tonight, Paul's been playing the what if game. What if we just take away that little tile in the tower what if it goes what will happen and we've seen tonight that if we take away that foundation of a bodily physical resurrection beyond the grave for Jesus and so also for us then we lose everything everything as Christians of course there is a physical resurrection Christ has been raised. We know it's true. We've just been celebrating it last week. And over the next few weeks, we will see some of the glorious implications uh, for us as we look at 1 Corinthians 15. Which means that because Christ has been raised, our preaching is not useless and our faith also is not useless. As I finish tonight, let's be clear about where our confidence is in our own personal physical resurrection comes from. You see, we may be very confident tonight that we will be raised physically in the future. But I've been around in pastoral ministry long enough to know that there will be storms coming. There will be moments in life when it is so very hard to see that and to believe it. I've had the great privilege of standing with great Christian saints as they face their own imminent death, strong, wonderful believers in Christ. And in that moment, as they experience the fear of the unknown, they ask, how do I know what will happen? How do I know what's beyond the grave? 
And can I say tonight, we do not go to our experience or to what makes sense to us or to our intuition to work out the answer. We don't go outside and look at the culture around us to work out what makes sense according to science. No, we look at the empty tomb, at the experience of our risen Lord Jesus. That is where we find the answer. That is where we find that there is life beyond the grave. Perhaps it is uh, poor health, chronic, long-term poor health, and we're just sick and weary of a broken body. And we just can't imagine what it would be like to be whole, to be well, beyond the pain and suffering. Well, Paul says to us tonight, don't go by your experience. Don't go by how you feel or what you can see. Go back, rather, to the definite events of Easter, the definite physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. That is what you've heard and believed and taken your stand on. Continue firm in it, no matter what happens. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you once again for the firm foundation, that tremendous anchor we have in those events of Easter, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. What an anchor it is for our souls, Father, in the ups and downs of life. And Father, we would pray afresh tonight that as your people, you'd help us to leave here tonight with our hope firm and our joy absolute, knowing that there is a resurrection that we have a tremendous, world-changing, wonderful future ahead of us, a world free of sorrow and suffering, a world free of the aches and pains and brokenness of this world, a world where we have perfected bodies, wonderful bodies, a world of service and joy in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Father, please help us to stand firm in that faith, we pray tonight. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.